This second Bible reading comes from Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. It can be found on your pew Bibles on page 1218. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers with me. To the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God our, to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Am I now trying to win approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, uh, Yang, for uh, reading that passage of scripture for us in Galatians. Let's uh, come to our, our Lord in prayer again. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We pray this morning that as we come under the teaching of your word, that you will speak to our hearts, Lord, that you encourage each and every one of us, your precious people here this morning, Lord, that we have a clarity of this gospel, that we preach the gospel to ourselves and give thanks to you for what you've done for us in Christ. Lord, I pray for the working of your spirit in our midst this morning. Thank you for your inspired, infallible word of God, the inerrant word that you entrusted to us in the name of Jesus. Amen. <coughs> well, friends, uh, this morning we continue our series in uh, the book of Galatians. And uh, I said last week that the book of Galatians is a series titled Real Freedom. That is, that in Christ we have absolute and total and full freedom in the Lord. That is, that in Christ as we trust him, he frees us from trying to do anything to gain our salvation in, in Christ. So last week uh, we looked at that and uh, last week at our church lunch, uh, someone uh, met me after the service at the luncheon and said, Chris, I want to ask you some questions about the sermon. I said, fantastic, let's go for it. And so this person said to me, you know, you said about freedom. What does that mean? Does it mean that I can live my life any way I want now? Because I am a free person. What does it actually mean? You see, legalism uh, is one that brings us under law, under things that says you must do A, B, C, D to be accepted by God. The opposite of legalism is what we might call libertinism. Let me explain that. That is libertinism which is addressed in books such as 1 John, Jude, 2 Peter and Romans, 
which warns against it. Libertinism is the notion that I am saved by grace and so I can live any way I want and I've still got forgiveness for my sins. In other words, since being a Christian means I'm not saved by works, then it really doesn't matter what I do and how I live. Really? Is that the case? Well, friends, this morning, we want to say no to both legalism and libertinism. We want to say, to no, to say no to legalism, that is, I am saved only by my obedience and good works to God. And we want to say no to libertinism, that in fact, that now that I am saved by my obedience, it doesn't matter how I live. The Apostle Paul, I believe, helps us say no to both of these in the book of Galatians, although primarily he is dealing with the error of legalism that had worked its way into the church and also with the important matter of the clarity of the gospel. Uh, John Piper, writing about the book of uh, Galatians, he says, uh, says this, Galatians is one of the best books in the Bible for helping us refine and clarify what the heart of the gospel is, which can't be replaced or altered. Galatians is one of the best books in the Bible for helping us refine and clarify what is the heart of the gospel. And so this morning we continue our series in Galatians and today we're going to look at Galatians chapter 1 verses 6 to 10. Remember last time I, I cut off at uh, verse 5 and someone said to me, oh isn't that great Chris, you don't have to write a sermon for next week. <laughs> it didn't work that way friends, it didn't work that way. I still had to write a message, alright, so. Uh, we're going to look at these three points this morning. The astonishment, uh, the anathema, which is a, a Greek word, but actually it means the curse. So that's what the word is. And finally, uh, the approval. So the astonishment, six and seven, the anathema, which is the curse, and the approval. Okay? So six to, um, let, let's look at six and seven. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So please keep your Bibles open to this passage. Paul says here, I am marveled. He says, I am absolutely stunned. I am in fact gobsmacked. I am absolutely astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. You see, Paul has already articulated the content of the gospel very clearly as we noted last week. We have the content of the gospel in that passage in Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. For example, in verse 4, Paul says this, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That is, he gave himself for our sins. This is what Jesus came to do. He dealt with the uh, human problem of sin. And so when we talk about sin, we go back to Genesis and we see uh, the great temptation there that was put before Adam and Eve, you will be like God. So as created as vice regents with dominion over the earth, Adam and Eve wanted more. And Adam and Eve reached for autonomy only to fall into sin and disobedience against God. And they were expelled from the Garden of Eden and they could not go back 
paradise was lost and sin entered the world. And Jesus, the Bible tells us, Paul says, he's the rescuer. That's the Greek word that is used there. He's the one who plucks you out, who draws you out, who, 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 who brings you out, who delivers you out from this connection with sin. In fact, that word rescue is a very strong word as connections with the Old Testament. Uh, Israel out of slavery from Egypt. I won't go into that this morning. He is the rescuer. Friends, you and I are utterly and totally lost and helpless in our sin. Yes? The Bible tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. As one writer puts it, Christianity is in fact a rescue religion. In fact, that's what John Stott says. It's a rescue faith. It's a faith that rescues us, that brings us out, that delivers us from the pit of sin and transforms our lives. Isn't that marvelous? That's what the gospel of Christ does. That's what Jesus does. He rescues takes us out, brings us out, puts our feet on a solid rock for all other ground is sinking sand. That's what he does. An amazing work of the rescuing work of Jesus. And he rescues us from this present age of evil and brings us into the kingdom. And so now these Galatian Christians had come under this gospel of Jesus Christ and this these churches would have been soundly established in the gospel of God's free grace in Christ, but things have gone bad. They were tolerating, if not embracing, a form of teaching that directly contradicted what the Apostle Paul had previously taught them about the saving work of Jesus Christ. And that's the real danger. And we could call it the Galatian heresy. And it was coming... Was it coming from outside? No, no. It was coming from within the church. From within the body. You see, friends, any, in any age of departure from biblical understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ can come quickly and without much warning. Notice the word that is used there. The word quickly. That is, it carries with it the thought of facility. That is, when something moves quickly, this movement is accomplished with ease. And they were deserting the gospel. The, the original word that is used here is to transfer, to change one's allegiance, to fall away, to desert from one person or thing or another. It is a defection. That is, you are defecting. You are transferring your allegiance to someone else. We see that in the political world, don't we? We've seen that in, uh, we have witnessed this in our own country. How many prime ministers have we had in the past few years? I can't even, I don't even know, I can't re remember. <laughs> right? We had a revolving door, haven't we? People come in, a prime minister one, prime minister two, prime minister three, prime minister four. We don't know whether the current prime minister, like, he'll last. We never know these things, right? And suddenly people who were one time for Prime Minister A and Prime Minister B and Prime Minister C have turned their allegiance and put their votes to someone else in the party room, right? That's the Westminster system of our parliament. <laughs> so we change allegiance just like that. 
Friends that you knew can change allegiance just like that. It can come so quickly. And it can come so swiftly. And that's what's happened here. The Galatian churches seem to be shifting allegiance to a different gospel. And what is this different gospel? I'm not going to go too much into this. I explained this last week. This was the teaching of the Judaizers, that is the, the Jewish converts to Christians. They had come out of Judaism. They become believers. They were a group of teachers. And now these, these believers, the, 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 these Judaizers were saying, they insisted that the Gentile Christians must practice the traditional ceremonial customs of the law of Moses as Jewish Christians did. They taught that the Gentile Christians must observe the dietary laws of the Old Testament. They taught that the Gentile Christians must be circumcised to be fully accepted by God to be saved. They taught that the Gentile Christians are to keep the Jewish holy days and by implication to maintain Jewish food laws, which in turn would prevent the Gentile Christians from participating. They wanted to add something to the work of Christ. I was thinking about how would we do that today. You know, um, I go to a particular petrol station. The reason I do that is because I want to build and I maintain a contact with the, the owner, right? Opportunity for gospel work. So he knows me, he's an Indian man, we talk about curries, we talk about life. He, tell me, he says to me, Chris, I am just stressed, Chris. Every time I see him, he's stressed. I have to work here, hard work, not much money coming in, sir. It's just this. So I've got this velocity card. Anyone else has a velocity card? You go to BP, you put this card in. Have you swiped the card? Oh, yes. And he says, each time you do this, you get points. Now, I'm not a guy who can kind of look at all these points. My wife is very good at that. Right? She's very good at redeeming all these points. I just swipe the card. That's it. Yeah. And I was thinking like that. I was thinking about it. Can it be like that for us as well? You know, we have this swipe the card. I do a few good things for God, swipe my card. I go to church for you, God, swipe the card. I play in the music tape, swipe the card. What else? Oh, I serve as an elder. Man, that has to go. I serve as a minister. That should get about 100 points. And I serve in the Presley Church. Oh, that's 1,000 points. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? And each time I'm trying to do this, oh, I loved my wife and I gave her a bouquet of flowers. That's about 10,000 points. You see what I'm saying? Each time I'm swiping the card thinking, ah, God, am I not doing some good works for you, God? Surely you should be so pleased with me. Surely you should give me some bit of thing about my salvation because I am contributing in some way. Do you see what I'm saying? The danger, the danger in my own mind to think that I can add to the work of Christ, I can't. There's nothing that I can do because everything I do is like filthy rags in the sight of God. But my Savior has done it all. And so Galatians, one writer puts it this way, a guy by the name of Marius Victorinus commenting on the teachings of this book. It brings this out quite well. Let me see if I get it. Okay, the Galatians are going astray because they are adding Judaism to the gospel of faith in Christ. Disturbed by these tendencies, Paul writes this letter in order that they may preserve faith in Christ alone. And so Paul is saying, I'm astonished that you are deserting this. You, I'm astonished that the God who has called you and given you this gospel and I preach this to you, you are deserting it. You see, friends, it is God who calls them 
and us. Is that right? I don't call God because by nature I can't. I'm, I'm a sinner. I don't go I seek after God. God seeks after me. <laughs> All right? He comes after me. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. It is he who does the calling. It is he who calls us from wherever, from, from across the world. <laughs> this morning when we were driving, we were praying. I'm not, my Rose was praying, right? And praying for the different cultures in our church here. And how God would bless this ministry that we have here. And God has called people from where, all across the world. Has he not? And he's put us here. And he's done the calling. See, this is the grace of God. God's unmerited favor. It's a language of God. Grace is God's unmerited favor in Christ. More about that next week. The Christian life is all of one word. Grace. Yes? I mean, you can put other words there. But primarily, it is of grace. Because God is the God of grace. And he has called you into a life of grace. And what does that mean? It means my life must also be transformed by grace. Last night we were reading, I was reading one book, Rose was reading another book. I was reading a book on, um, by Christopher Hash, Zeal Without uh, uh, Burnout. Right? Well, it's my title. I'm, I'm on the, the third thing on the book. Rose is reading to me a book about the mind and the gospel and how the gospel has to affect and transform our minds and negativity into positivity and all that kind of stuff. So, you see, when the gospel transforms our lives, that grace, the grace of God should also transform my thinking, my mind, where it can take the negativity of our hearts and our minds and change us to be gospel-driven, Christ-centered, Christ-honoring lives. Yes? This is not just theoretical knowledge. This is the gospel of Christ that touches my head and touches my heart and moves by the Spirit to change us and to transform us. What's the purpose, friends, for me to say, I'm a gospel Christian, I'm a gospel Christian, but my life has not been changed and my life has not been transformed and it's not seen in my relationships, but I am a gospel Christian. <laughs> you see, legalism can be that way as well, isn't it? But the Spirit of God transforms and changes our lives. That's for another time anyway. You see, the life is one of grace. I was reading some of Jonathan Edwards' work this past week. One of the most amazing theologians. Right? And this is what he says. Those who have received salvation are to attribute it to sovereign grace alone and to give all the praise to him who makes them to differ from others. See, Jonathan Edwards, and I won't go into his life at this moment, you know, the amazing conversion that he had, a brilliant mind, a brilliant theologian, and he's written excellent books, but he talks about that grace. That's it. You see, friends, Paul, though Paul speaks here of a different gospel, the reality is that there is no other gospel. There is only one gospel, which is that of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel. The word that is used here is to agitate, to trouble, to shake, 
to cause inward commotion, to cause disquiet, to cause people to be restless, to stir up trouble. And so the Galatian churches have been turned into a state of confusion by this false teaching. They've been turned around. In other words, they were trying to do what, what they were trying to do was to turn the gospel around or to reverse it. And so we see the anathema that Paul pronounces, eight and nine. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. That's the word there, let him be cursed. As we have said before, so I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be anathema, let him be accursed. You see, we can read this and think, is Paul being harsh here? Can you actually ask somebody to be cursed by this God? It's unthinkable, isn't it? That Paul goes on to give this hypothetical situation or scenario of Paul. The first one is, imagine Paul preaching another gospel. Even if we, he says, so he's incorporating himself. The original word for accursed that Paul uses here is the word anathema, as I mentioned. This word is derived from the Old Testament connotations of covenant violations. The equivalent Old Testament word that is used here means to devote to destruction. For example, Achan and his sin in Joshua chapter 6, which brought him and his family to be cursed by God and the penalty of death. Remember the destruction of Jericho. Such is the force of this word that anyone who preaches a different gospel, let him be cursed. In case that they and the church today misses the point twice, Paul says, that if anyone, including an angel from heaven, preaches another gospel, let him be accursed. This is one of the most severest punishments in the Bible that is reserved for anyone who tampers with the gospel. In this instance, the anathema or curse is, is reserved for anyone who tampers with the gospel. John Stott makes this observation. He says, to tamper with the gospel is always to trouble the church. You cannot touch the gospel and leave the church untouched because the church is created and lives by the gospel. So now, friends, think about this scenario. Think about this scenario. I'm preaching here, or maybe one John, whoever is up here, and suddenly an angel comes and stands in front of you this morning. He'll be looking dazzling and way better looking than me. Right. And he'll come out and say, man, what this guy Chris is preaching? Nonsense. I'm bringing to you a new gospel. I've got bells and whistles. I look groovy. I look this. I look that. Look at me. I'm great. And I'm preaching to you a gospel that is new. It's dynamic. The guys that Chris and John preach, that gospel, man, that's, just, that's way off. Listen to the new gospel I'm giving to you. That is, you believe Christ and you do some good works, man, you'll be in heaven when you die. What would you do? <laughs> Who do you believe? That guy? 
Would you test that gospel according to God's word? Or will you say, ah, our ministers, Chris and John, those guys don't know. This is an angel. An angel has come. Who are those guys? They're just humans. An angel has come and proclaimed to us a gospel. Hey, man, we're going with them. Would you? No, no. Whoever comes and preaches a different gospel, anathema. That's why in the Presbyterian system, the pulpit is the domain of the minister. The session has no authority on the pulpit. With respect, I say to our brothers, not that we don't work together as a team. Our system is like that. Whoever mounts this pulpit, there's a senior minister, it's his responsibility who preaches the word of God. Because if somebody preaches a false gospel here, you have every right to take me to task. Correct? And the presbytery has every right to challenge me or John because we are under the authority of the presbytery. So no false gospel teaching here. You see the responsibility that we have. Let him be anathema. And then the approval that we see in the text, verse 10. For I am now seeking the approval, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? Verse 10. If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You see, Paul was fighting for the very soul of these churches. He is seeking the approval of God in upholding the integrity of the gospel rather than to please men by teaching a different gospel. You see, friends, it does not take much to go down the slippery slope of compromising the purity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Martin Luther, he says this, some actually uses another word for person. I thought Luther won't be so angry with me. I changed. <laughs> he says this, some unlearned, and I use this word with respect, okay, so. Some, he, uses, he says, some unlearned idiot. That's the word he uses. I felt oh, some people are offended. So. It's not my word, it's Luther. So, right? so some unlearned, unlearned person <laughs> can undo the work of a decade. Actually uses the word idiot. Some unlearned idiot can do it. They come in and just undo everything that has been done for years in the church. What a danger that is, friends. And boy, we have seen, haven't we, the influence of liberalism within the church. What has happened to the church? What has happened to the church in, in the Western world today? What has happened to those great citadels or worship places in Europe? What has happened to the great churches in, in the UK where people like Spurgeon and Whitfield and others all preach this great, amazing gospel? And what has happened, friends? You have these massive churches in places like in the Europe and other places they are just now nothing. When we were in Geneva, I went to Calvin's church because I wanted to be there. I wanted to see Calvin where he had preached the gospel. He had Calvin's chair and there's a rope around it. I felt tempted to go and sit there. I'll do it. And I asked the, the guy there, oh, can I get onto that pulpit? It would be nice at least. No, you can't. Said, no, you can't. And then in the front, in the church, we were shocked how... Uh, um, how to be a Buddhist, how to be a Muslim, how to be this, how to be that, Islam for dummies, this, that, all that kind of stuff is there in, in Calvin's church, this church that preached the gospel. <laughs> Imagine if Calvin was there. <laughs> that, 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 those books would be taken out and perhaps burnt. You see what has happened? What has happened, friends? 
Gone, right? Gone, going, going, gone. You know denominations today where the gospel is not preached. It's up to you when you visit a church. It's up to you when you sit at a service not to come out and say, oh, that was a lovely service. <laughs> lovely service. I have heard people, oh, lovely service. What was lovely about it? You go for a funeral service. Oh, that was a lovely service. What's lovely about it if there is no gospel in it? What's lovely about a service that does not speak about eternity? What's lovely about a service that does not talk about our sin and God's grace? There is nothing lovely about it. Is there? We can do some nice singing. We can do some hip-hop hip -hop singing. You know, all that kind of stuff. Dance. But there's no gospel. It's lovely. Please. I encourage you, friends, to think, by God's grace, on the clarity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, you should know this gospel like this. That is, that I am a sinner, I deserve death, Christ came, he took my place as my substitute at the cross, he paid a price that I could never pay, he took the wrath of God for my sin, he died for me, because my faith in Christ alone, my repentance and my trust in Jesus Christ alone, I am saved. Yeah? And so when I die, when that coffin is wheeled out of the church or some funeral parlor or wherever it is, it doesn't matter because my soul goes to be with my Savior, the author and the perfecter of my faith who carries my soul into the eternity of the presence of God. What a blessing is that, right? And that same Savior walks with us every day. That's the gospel. So in a secular age, friends, the temptation is to, is to go away. Am I trying to please men? I'll give you a story soon as we... Uh, you see, uh, did you read, did you read recently of the resignation of Reverend Gavin Ashenden? Anyone read of this story, right? The chaplain to the queen. One of the queen's chaplains, I, I'm reading from the BBC, okay? One of the queen's chaplains has resigned after a row about reading from the Quran in a Glasgow church. Scottish people here this morning? No. The Reverend Gavin Ashenden, a senior clergyman in the Church of England left his position as chaplain in order to, to be free to criticize the move. A passage from the Quran was read during an epiphany service at St. Mary's Cathedral in Glasgow earlier this month. Mr. Ashenden said the reading had caused serious offense. The cathedral said standing by its decision. I googled this church this past week to see what their beliefs are. Very interesting. You find it out for yourself. St. Mary's invited local Muslims who revered Jesus as a prophet but not as the son of God to join the service. Not, nothing wrong with that. You invite anyone to come. But then a student from the lectern in Arabic read from the chapter of Miriam or Mary. And the chapter tells the story of the birth of Christ to the Virgin Mary. So far, so good. 
and includes the Islamic teaching that Jesus is not the Son of God and should not be worshipped. How's that? And that's what happened. And so this minister of the gospel said, I have nothing to do with it. I am resigning so that I am free to not seek the approval of men, but in this instance, the approval of God. That's what happened just a couple of months ago. I read this past week. Uh, Franklin Graham, he was not allowed to go into the Pentagon to pray last uh, last year or a year before because you know why he was asked to pray but outside on the lawns of the pentagon not inside because he uses the name of jesus in his prayer it's offensive if anyone tells me that i can't pray in the name of jesus christ in a particular place i'll say bye-bye <laughs> see you later correct now, I'm not trying to be arrogant. I'm not trying to go and cause unnecessary, say, oh, this is all about it. Be wise. But think about the approval of men. So, in conclusion, friends, the gospel is too precious and important to be tampered with. The gospel is God's gospel. The gospel teaches us that Jesus Christ has died for us in past, present, and future, and that the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ is imputed to us, Romans chapter 1, 17. We are to learn to recognize the simplicity and the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the challenge to the church is to always remain true to the only gospel and refuse to tolerate any teaching that deviates from it. Let's be, let us be alert enough to discern the true gospel from counterfeits. And I'll leave you with two questions. How important is the gospel of Jesus Christ to you this morning? How important is the gospel of Jesus Christ to you this morning? Is it important? And the second question is this. How is the gospel of Jesus Christ impacting and transforming your life and mine? My relationships with my family, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Am I a forgiving guy? Am I a guy of grace? Are we moved by this gospel? You know, I attended a conference once in the U.S. Uh, at Briarwood Presbyterian Church, and Harry Reader, the minister, got up there and said, and I think that phrase has been picked up by other theologians, preach the gospel to yourself every day. Preach it to yourself. And as you preach it, what do you see? You see your sin, and you see God's grace. And it moves your heart to be transformed by the Spirit. May this church, my prayer is, our church here will always remain faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ and that you will remain faithful to that. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your precious gospel of Christ. We live in an age of compromise in a secular world, in a world of pluralism that tells us and in a world of uni universalism that tells us there are many ways to God, but we know that there's only one way, there's only one gospel. Thank you for the glorious message, the gospel of hope. Would you bless your people here this morning, make us gospel-centered people, to live gospel-centered lives, and to love and serve 
our Savior Jesus Christ who gave his all for us. In the name of Jesus, amen.